This episode is brought to you by Morty, Rizova, Recon, and Patreon supporters like you. Supporting our sponsors supports our work. This year, we're hosting Recon, the Reality Escape Convention, virtually, so that we can bring our entire global community together. Our team has decided to alternate one year in person, one year virtual, and this year, we are doing it online. If you're an escape room designer or owner, you must come to Recon. There is literally no better place to learn the ropes, hear from experts, and meet your fellow creators. And if you're an escape room enthusiast and you love talking about puzzles, experiences, this is definitely the place for you. There is honestly nothing more fun to me than coming together with a group of like-minded people to explore all of the topics that excite you. Recon has a variety of ticket types to meet your needs, and the basic ticket is free. No tricks. We want our global community at Recon, and we hope to see each and every one of you there August 19th and 20th, 2023. You can learn more at realityescapecon.com. Details in the show notes. Tickets are on sale now. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guest is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're joined by Mark Larson. Mark is an escape room and tabletop gaming industry veteran. He is also the only game designer to have won a Golden Lock Award for contributions to a physical escape room, a tabletop escape room, and a virtual escape room. And he is the designer of the game that we have commissioned for Recon Remote 2023, The Shop of Theseus. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. Is that like a grand slam? Is that the Golden Lock Grand Slam? (laughs) Golden Lock Yahtzee? I'm not sure. I only realized this when I was researching you, Mark. It hadn't occurred to me that you had been involved with Riddle Room when Utopia won. Yeah. That was the weekend you came to play it, I think. I was gone to Gen Con that weekend, so we didn't get to meet way back then. But yeah, that was one of the first rooms I had opened back when I worked at Riddle Room. Wow. It was a very special room. Let's start with your origin story. How did you find your way into escape rooms? Oh, I've been doing puzzles and games my whole life. There is a detritus of board games, I'm sure, in my wake from my parents or I take pieces out from them and take pieces from other games and mix them together and entertain myself making whatever. Same with puzzles. Always loved whatever puzzles I could get my hands on, mazes and word finds and that stuff when I'm younger. I remember we visited some family friends when I was probably nine or 10, and they had a stack of old games magazines that had the big like pencil-wise section in the middle. And I sat down and just found a pencil and started solving them. And they just sent me home with one of them and gave it to me. That was a pretty clear indication I needed a subscription to that magazine at that point. So you fell in love with puzzles and games at a very early age. How did you end up finding the escape room world? I found the escape room world by accident. My background is in theatrical design. I went to grad school for primarily lighting and sound design. 
did that for freelance for about a year and a half, realized that freelance life was not for me. I wanted something a little more stable and found a job in tabletop gaming, worked on that for about five years. And then after that, someone from there knew Riddle Room that you mentioned here in the Twin Cities, and they were looking for a general manager. And I loved puzzles. The escape rooms were kind of just starting to be a thing here in the Twin Cities. And through that connection, got in there at the Riddle Room and found a new way to put puzzles in the real world. Bring people in, show them cool puzzles, show them these interesting interactive experiences that I had fallen in love with. David, we need to start taking a tally of which of our guests have come from theater backgrounds. (laughs) We've got so many people that were all theater kids that somehow ended up in escape rooms. I know you've worn a lot of hats in your career in escape rooms. Off the top of your head, what are some of the different jobs that you've filled in for and which was the most fulfilling and which was your least favorite? Yeah, I've done so many things in escape rooms. At Riddle Room, I was their general manager, so oversaw staff and staffing. That might be one of my least favorite ones to having to deal with the kind of nitty-gritty of that. It's not as creative. We got to deal with a lot of the problems and not necessarily as much of the fun. I had great people that I worked with there. You still have to deal with a lot of those issues and problems as they come up. While there, I also was the project manager for any new rooms that got rolled out. Worked with a close friend of mine up here who's a scenic painter, helped me come in and do a lot of the painting and the prop shopping and all that sort of stuff. That was fun. I moved over to Trap Puzzle Rooms about a year and a half after jumping into escape rooms up here and was there events manager dealing with anything that wasn't at a physical location for a couple of years. So we did some portable events at local pubs and restaurants. We did some custom events at places in the Twin Cities across the country. We did some pop-up escape rooms there, all of that stuff. So being able to create those and help roll those events out, that was really fun. The pandemic happened and everything changed. And that's when we did a lot more of the online stuff. I really wanted to see what that realm looked like. I had that idea a couple of years ago and then was told that idea was already done by the amazing Danny and Bill at Escape This Podcast. So uh, we could have put that on hold until we had no other options, but the pandemic happened. And designing some escape rooms, project leading a uh, new space at Trapped. I did that for a while. I've done yeah a big wide chunk of... And that's, I think, what's really exciting about the industry is it's such a wide scope. There's so many different ways to interact with things. Of the many things you've done, which one kind of resonated the most with you? I love leading like a new project on something, whether I'm designing it or not, figuring out how to get all the pieces to fit together, making sure that final product is a really great product. It's very customer first, smooth on all those rough edges. So it's a really streamlined experience. I really love doing that. The making all the pieces fit together is really fun. You definitely strike me as a maker's maker. One of the things that I have always wanted to ask you, but never got around to is you have worked for a number of different escape room companies in a variety of different capacities. But to the best of my knowledge, you've never owned or founded an escape room business. What has driven that choice? Finance more than anything else. I feel that. Jumping into that, having enough money to start something up. It's the same thing of why I didn't like freelancing for theater as much. That risk, that uncertainty, I don't like in my life. And so being able to create something, even creating something on the side while I've got full-time work somewhere else is great. I've done a lot of that as well. A lot of freelancing, a lot of consulting. I've still got lots of ideas I need to make and get out in the world. But yeah, primarily it's the financial aspect. I completely get where you're coming from. And I feel like having a team to work with on stuff is 
really nice to have that support. And it sounds like that's what you enjoy because you said your favorite job was project managing. And that implies you have people that you're <laughs> managing as well. Yeah. The crew at Trapped is fantastic. I'm really excited for what they've got coming up. And being able to work with them on a wide range of projects was so much fun. That's awesome to hear. Before we move on from physical escape rooms, we mentioned earlier Utopia, which I think it's fair to describe it as the flagship game at Riddle Room. That closed a few years back, but I have heard a rumor that it was coming back in some form somewhere. I'm wondering if you have any Twin Cities insight into the story there. Yeah, Riddle Room didn't make it through the pandemic. They closed down, but did sell some of their intellectual assets. And so moved Utopia over to Lock and Key, another company up here in the Twin Cities, and they reopened it up there. Another great company. Yeah, definitely. We've got a lot of really fantastic escape room companies up here in the Twin Cities. I haven't had a chance to go play it yet or check them out, but I've only heard good things about them reopening it there. I think their space is a little bit bigger, which was the kind of hope for the original game. So I need to go check that out. One of my problems is I don't play enough escape room games. There's just too much stuff to do. I get that. But yeah, I would definitely be curious to replay it myself because that game truly was special. When I played it back in 2017, it was a true surprise when we visited St. Paul in Minneapolis. In case any of our listeners aren't familiar with your work at Trapped Puzzle Rooms, you created a series of Dungeons and Dragons type virtual audio escape rooms like the Studio Ghibli-inspired Spirit Train, which we covered in our Spoilers Club, as well as the game that we commissioned for Recon 2021, Escape from Escape Island. So how do these games work? Yeah, they are a mixture of a one-shot role-playing session and an escape room. Very similar to, again, what Danny and Bill do over at Escape This Podcast. They have pioneered it and uh, listened to your great episode of them pretty recently, giving me pretty significant imposter syndrome with that as they have perfected that skill. But those games involve a live narrator narrating through an experience that happens entirely in your imagination. We do support it with a few images as well. Sometimes there's some GIFs or some video or some other fun things we can do with the digital medium. But those games really focus on what can we do with that idea of an escape room if physics and space are no longer a constraint? How can we explore the fun, imaginative world that we all want to dive into? Can we give you superpowers? Can we sail the high seas as pirates? What types of things can we still explore in that escape room world if we're not constrained to space and money and time and physics? I remember when your games first hit during that whole lockdown era, we had the hive mind recently spun up at the time. And so Lisa and I weren't playing all that many of the games that were being reviewed. But every single time people were playing these audio adventures with this Mark Larson guy, everyone on the team was losing their mind. And Lisa and I, we kept trying to like cycle new people on because we were wondering if just a small portion of our team was just really enchanted by this. But everybody we cycled on kept coming back and saying, oh, that was amazing. You got to go do it. And so Lisa and I eventually said, all right, well, we got to go and see what this is about. And yeah, we just agreed with everyone. Your games were enchanting. And I think a lot of it had to do with the ways that you use the virtual medium to push the boundaries of what was possible and to make you feel as a player really empowered to affect the world and do some really unhinged things in them. 
I just really loved the approach that you took. That was one of our early visions for that line was if we're going to do this, let's explore all the stuff that we can't normally do. One of the dreams that trapped, and I apologize to Jamie, one of the co-owners for spoiling this idea, is he always wants to have a room that slowly fills with water over an hour. And you can do that room exactly once and the room will destroy itself. You just can't do it physically and all the liabilities and all those other problems. But in the virtual world, I don't have to worry about you hurting yourself or getting into a spot that's going to be dangerous. I can dunk in all the water that I want. Yeah, trying to explore those sorts of fun and interesting things that we don't normally get to see in escape rooms. One of the things that really proved out the concept to me was your game Super Squad, where each person on the team had their own superpowers. And the moment that we realized that we could combine our powers, in fact, we had to combine our powers, we truly were just playing make-believe together. But you had created this mental model that felt real in its own way, very much in the way that tabletop role-playing works. But it was an escape room, and it was a delight to experience that. One of the goals for that room specifically is we wanted to make a room where we didn't have the alpha player problem. Mm. And so we wanted to make something where we split up those powers between different people. And we were really insistent on that person has to use that power. So it forced people to all get involved and think about how they could use the power that they were given or ask other people, hey, can you do this thing? It's a creative world. You can just say it and it will happen. But that intentionality of wanting people to have ownership over those pieces, I think that sparked some of the fun and joy of that experience. When you say alpha player, you mean like the one player that wants to just take over and solve all the puzzles themselves? Is that? <laughs> yeah. The, one of the downsides to the audio medium is there's one narrator. So as a group, you have to do everything together. You can't split up and divide and conquer like a normal escape room. So if one person's really clicking with the room, they can solve a lot of things and keep things moving forward fast while other people are not having as much chance to interact. And for some groups, that's really delightful. Some people really enjoy the story and going along for the ride and seeing what's going on. And this environment works really well for that. You can kind of join on, ask questions when you need to, but just experience the story. But for people that really want to get involved and play, if we've got a wider range of people that want to interact more with things, having those roles split up with that one really helped out. Now, when we had Danny and Bill on, they were on episode eight of season five. And one of the things they said when they were crafting puzzles for the game was that they used a thing called keyword matching. And that was how you hinted at the puzzles at which parts of the game might be connected to each other. So do you have any tricks that you employ when you're crafting a good puzzle for these audio escape rooms? Definitely. One thing I try to do is the old show and not tell, which is tough because the whole thing is an audio. I'm describing everything verbally. But rather than telling you you're traveling through time, I'm describing the things that you can see and touch, the experience that you're having that gives you the idea that, oh, I, maybe I'm traveling through time. The old verbal show. Yeah, it's a verbal show. But yeah, I'm filling in for those senses that you don't normally have because you're not seeing everything as it happens. You can't smell stuff. You can't feel what it feels like. The out-of-body experience of traveling through time and being disoriented is gone. But I can tell you those things and you can put those pieces together in your mind to get that idea and sensation. You can have that aha moment of, oh, this is what's going on when I'm still telling you all the information. I think you went really hard on that in Spirit Train. Yes, definitely. I want to give you the sense that you're here. And I want you to put together what's going on and not just tell you, like, here's the thing that's happening now. I think that's a really important part of feeling like you're in that environment. You're getting those other sensory inputs without having to see, smell, touch. 
Another trick that I use, and I'll give this one away for anyone that plays my experiences, it comes back to the idea of focus. When I'm giving you a narrative information, a lot of times we're getting into a new room and I've got three or four sentences to describe that and give you into that room. The most important thing always goes last. Players' attention spans, they'll overwrite everything but the last thing. So if I want you to look at something, I will always put it last in the list. Oh, that's a good hint. That's a clue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> So of the many audio games you made during that lockdown era, which was your favorite one to run for other players? It is hands down Escape from Escape Island. And why? I'm going to spoil it. Why not? I mean, I don't know how you'd play it. You're the only person who could run it. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. So that game is a spin on a time loop game. You are playing through the same game multiple times over and over again. The first loop is typically five to eight minutes long, and you go through it four to six times, depending on how you're solving it. And being a live narrator who is forgetting that you're looping, part of the loop is that the narrator playing it doesn't have a recollection of the loop. And so I get to play very dumb every time you loop it. And that is an absolute delight. And then really lean into that. Players solve the same puzzles, and so they write those answers down, and they can just go through those puzzles quickly. That's part of the design. But I respond differently to those going, oh, you must have just guessed a random four-digit number. Way to go. Or, oh, it must be your lucky number. Be able to play into that. Remind them that I'm not in the same world that they are. They have this insider knowledge that I, as their narrator, don't have in this fictional world. And try and keep them in that mindset that I'm in the dark was a lot of fun. And then in the end, the very last loop, the team breaks the game enough that they get access to the script where they can write and do anything they want in that script. And it was an absolute delight in Recon 2021 because word passed around, I believe, that you should mess with this team when you played this game as much as possible because the longer we ran it, the more we got messed with. And it was what I wanted. People had so much fun with it. It was an absolute delight to have people have me do the silliest possible things. To paint a picture for folks who weren't at Recon 2021, At the conclusion of this, you would hack the game. You'd get access to a Google Doc that was the script that Mark or whoever was running the game was following, and you could change anything you wanted in it. You could make him say things. Also, you had to change the parameters of the game in order to make it solvable. That was really the crux of the solve. But beyond that, there was this additional layer of play, and you could make Mark say all sorts of ridiculous things. Now, I remember this game really being described as a game created specifically for escape room enthusiasts. Were there different techniques that you use when designing a game for an enthusiast as opposed to a game that you expect newbies or families to play? We definitely leaned into some tropes that we hope people would find humorous. In the game, there are four smaller escape rooms that you get to explore and they are all meant to be the most overused themes possible i put a post on twitter months before we released it asking for ideas pg you responded and i think gave us the idea for the pyramid one for (laughs) oh egyptian of course everyone does egyptian we got to use that the most cliched ideas possible (laughs) yes and like really lean into these are cliche escape rooms that are not well built You've got the image that I'm showing you what the room is. And when teams would ask, oh, what's on the other wall? I go, they forgot to paint it. There's nothing there. How, why would they forget to paint this fourth wall? Or they want to look through a window and I go, oh, let's frost it over. It looks like there's a big white wall behind it that's well lit. Very strange choice. 
those sorts of things to play into this idea that this world that we're in is just fake walls and paint and really nothing. I think a lot of enthusiasts really got into that and had a good time recognizing that I'm dumping them into some quickly built escape rooms that we've all played at some point. Also, the mechanics of the game and trusting players to be able to think outside the box, try something new, interact with the back end of a game. I wanted to give people the experience of you're going to write this game a little bit. There's still a lot of structure involved. There's still kind of a quote unquote right answer, although we accepted 30 or 40 different responses at the very end that were all good ways of solving whatever the final puzzle was. But giving those people that have played a lot of these games that experience of this is what it feels like to write one of these games, too, was a fun twist at the end. Do you recall anything special that a team did to the script at the end? Is there anything that is two years later still in your mind as a high point for running that game? I have so many of them. (laughs) One team translated the opening paragraph into Italian and pasted it in there. I don't speak Italian. That was a complete disaster to get through. Uh, one team added in brackets at the front sung as a Broadway musical and so I then attempted to sing the entire rest of that last loop in song that was a disaster and everyone loved it that was great I had one group in the very end there's a paragraph at the bottom that's like you've won congratulations and everyone was furiously typing into there to like get the last word in so the script was being added as I was trying to read it as people were editing around it so I'm like trying to get to the end of those scripts that was really fun I had one team change the codes on things, but not the text after the codes. So they would enter one code and I would say they entered a different code and the congratulations. And they make the one I'd say like 20 zeros in a row, something very silly. Um, (laughs) And they would love that. And once we got teams to feel comfortable with that mode, we played it a few times after recon with teams and trying to figure out how to get them to be comfortable with messing with us was a real challenge because... There was that, like, I don't want to offend you, or like, it's a real person on the other end. I really appreciate that. I could feel that, like, resistance to, oh, I don't want to make them have a bad day. But that was so much fun when they really dug in and made things just awful for five minutes as I'm running this room. It was an absolute delight. I did not know that any of those things happened. (laughs) I knew that people had fun with you, but I, I don't actually think I had a specific example of any of them. Man, now I realize I've been too polite in all of these games. (laughs) We just got to the end as fast as possible. I think the only time I ever felt comfortable messing with the GM was when it was Brian Corbett. And then I had a lot of fun making him do all kinds of sadistic stuff. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its brand new web experience, in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. David, I know you are super attached to your laptop. How are you enjoying the new Morty desktop experience? I am absolutely loving it. I work so much faster at finding information at my laptop and the filters, the searching, the use of the map on the Morty website is fantastic and it just keeps on getting better. I feel like every time I go on this website, it's got more things going on. 
So the ability to search in region and narrow down by community score, these things are super valuable. And I love the ease with which I can navigate it at my computer. And it's definitely easier to write reviews for your favorite escape rooms. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details are in the show notes. So with Trapped Puzzle Rooms, you also co-created the punny Rough Bluff, a Furlock Holmes mystery, which recently won a Golden Lock Award in the tabletop category. How did this game come about? We were looking at the tabletop line at Trapped, looking at opening back up after the pandemic fully, what we wanted to do in terms of our physical spaces again, and seeing if Trapped Takeout was still a thing that fit in that realm. And so we looked at, can we make a game that is bigger, that reaches a wider audience with kind of the idea of, can we kickstart a game from the beginning? Uh, Is that a direction that we can go making something that's bigger, more production value, things like that? I got put on it as the project lead by happenstance. There were three of us working on it at the time, Gabe and Amy, both still at Trapped. They're delightful. I love working with them. Both of them also are on the build team, as they call it there, doing a lot of the construction for new spaces, but are fantastic designers. And the three of us started from the beginning, thinking about what the structure would be. Amy loves dogs, has three of her own. One of them just had puppies. And so having some of those very dog-themed was pretty high on our list. Talked through some different things. I thought a Western theme. There were lots of fun items for that. We wanted a, a game that had lots of fun things for you to play with, items that we could reuse. I was like, Western's got a lot of things in that realm. Poker chips, deck of cards, all that sort of stuff. None of us were really excited about that. Western's not a theme that any of us have a lot of attachment to. But combining dogs and that kind of Western theme of the dogs playing poker art uh, got <laughs> us into the realm of running with that. What if there's a poker game and something goes missing? Uh, now you got my attention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's... A big part of Trapped that's a big part of me is making games that are fun. And there's a wide range out there. I'm not saying that the games have to be fun, but I think there's a big chunk of a space that isn't always served. Just having a game that is fun to play and makes you laugh. I love that. I want puzzles to be able to do that. At what point in the development process did Furlock Holmes as a character emerge? That was actually before. So another thing we tried in the middle of the pandemic was when Telescape came out. We wanted to make a game that was primarily on Telescape. And so Gabe designed a whole escape room entirely in Telescape, no narrator at all. It runs by itself. He wanted to experiment with drawing three-dimensionally, so all of it's hand-drawn and stuff. And the character of Sherlock Holmes was from that. Aaron, who also works in the company, loves Sherlock Holmes. And so we want to bring some Sherlock Holmes into what we do. We invented Furlock Holmes because we have to make it silly and punny. That's part of the whole goal. So yeah, so that character came from there and we thought, what a great pull-in. We'll make a big universe of Furlock Holmes stuff. He'll go solve all the crimes in our animal-themed world. I'm on board for the Furlock Holmes cinematic universe. Yes. I know that a lot of creators can struggle with using Kickstarter. What was your experience like crowdfunding? This was the first time I had been the lead on kickstarting something. I'd helped with a few kickstarters before, but not really gotten into how to get something on the platform and get it up and running. I'm glad I have had that experience and I can hopefully use it again in the future. It was interesting. I think the campaign went on too long. I think learning that you're going to get the most people responding in the first couple of days and the last couple of days, the middle doesn't 
do a lot for you. So like a two-week campaign is probably going to be just as successful as a four-week campaign for a lot of things. Getting the word out, pushing that out to people is important. It was fine. It gave us a good sense of our numbers, which was really important for this one with the higher production value. We wanted to know how many we needed to make. So that was a really important part of that project. That's cool. Glad to hear that it went well. Before you found your way into escape rooms, you were a project coordinator at Fantasy Flight Games, the makers of some classic tabletop games like a personal favorite of mine, Battlestar Galactica. What kinds of projects and work were you doing in the gaming industry? My time at Fantasy Flight for most of it, I oversaw the production schedule for the entire development team. That was somewhere in 150 to 200 projects a year that got through, making sure that everyone knew what was going on, we're in the right direction. Spent a lot of time playing stuff, giving feedback, looking at where games were at. I jumped in a couple spots where we had too many projects and not enough developers and got stuff out the door or worked on whatever was falling through the cracks there. A wide range of things. Uh, Again, that kind of, as I'm realizing talking to you, being able to use lots of tools in my toolbox as frequently as possible is a position that I really like to be in. You're a production guy through and through. Everywhere you land, you are making things ship. I like taking a project from the start to the finish. I like having something I can run with and kind of letting me loose on making this thing happen. I really love that process of having this initial idea and then shepherding it through to being a, a thing I can touch or a thing that people can see or look at. I really find that rewarding. I get that. Do you have any secret weapons when it comes to organizing production for these type of gaming projects? A lot of those positions are just about knowing all the pieces and being able to figure out how they fit together. I know that's something I love doing of seeing a big picture and finding the things that are going to cause problems down the road and trying to make them all fit as they need to get it all streamlined out. I love that process. And some of it is, it depends on the scope of the project. Sometimes it's figuring out how different departments work together and seeing where the holdups are, the trains are going to collide later. Uh, Sometimes it's just looking at a project like Rough Bluff and identifying, okay, here's the spots that are going to be difficult for us to produce. How do we bend everything else around those things so we can make this project work? Rizova is your all-in-one, all-inclusive software for bookings made specifically with escape rooms in mind. Incorporating community-driven features, it's designed to follow the guest journey. From selecting times to book, waiver management, integrated point-of-sale system, and follow-up emails. Rizova is the ultimate online reservation software designed to elevate the guest experience, increase game master efficiency, drive sales, and improve operations. PG, what is fantastic about Rizova is that they offer something for the owners, something for the guests, and something for the GMs. What does Rizova offer GMs? I saw their calendar system and it was beautiful. It was simple. It's easy to use. When you're a GM, what you care about is increasing your efficiency. You're already juggling so many different things, welcoming customers, running games. You don't want to have to worry about handling a super complicated system. Their calendar view makes it very clear at a glance what times are booked, which slots are open, whether the team has already paid or not, and how many people it's booked for. 
They also have the integrated point of sale system, which just makes your job that much easier and that much more efficient. And with everything being so integrated, your game masters only have to be trained on one system. To learn more, get a free demo, and find out how easy Rizova can make your transition to their technology, head over to rizova.com rea, and be sure to use our link or drop our name, because as a thank you to Repod listeners, Rizova is offering up to $100 in Google AdWords when you sign up through our link. Details in the show notes. I had mentioned earlier the Battlestar Galactica board game. Your headshot is of you standing next to what looks like a giant version of the board game's box art mimicking Captain Adama's facial expression. How does one get such an epic picture? (laughs) So I absolutely love the board game Battlestar Galactica. I've played it a couple hundred times. It remains one of my favorite games of all time. Same. I love it. A couple hundred? I don't know that I've played any board game a couple hundred times. It's a big one and I've played it a lot. I absolutely love it. When I worked at Fantasy Flight, the last expansion was being released in my time there, but the game had already shipped long before that. And to promote new games at Gen Con, one of the biggest gaming conventions in the U.S., they would make these huge banners, 20, 25 foot tall banners that they would hang in the space to promote those games. And when I was there, someone found an old one of the Battlestar Galactica game. I don't think it was one of the big ones now that I think about it. I think it was like an eight or 10 foot tall one. And they gave it to me. And so I had this banner for no good. What are you going to do with this big banner of Battlestar Galactica? But I had it at the time we were renting a house that had in the basement, there was a door that went to like a cellar that had a draft coming in. So I was like, perfect. I will use this to block this door up for the draft and then needed a headshot one day. So I was like, well, Captain Adama's there and looking grumpy. So I'll just take a headshot with him also looking grumpy because I don't know what else to do in pictures. And it's just stuck because I haven't found a better one since then. (laughs) I love it. I also just love that game so much. It's a it's got describing it is interesting. How would you describe the Battlestar game? At its core, it's a hidden role game. So some players are humans. Some players are Cylons. The humans want to win the game. The Cylons want to lose the game. And sussing out who is who is the meat of the game. The whole thing is built around that mechanic. You do skill checks where you add cards in secretly and you move around the board to try and stop invaders from taking over the ship. And the whole time you're trying to figure out who is on what team and who can you trust? Yeah, oh, it's just such a this wonderful... This is perfect for the show. It's, it's, it's basically <laughs> what the show is, too. So Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, as far as I'm concerned, I cannot think of a board game that better captures an IP than the Battlestar tabletop game did. Yeah, when he said hidden roll and some are silence, and I was like, well, of course they are. Like, what other mechanic would you... Put in a Battlestar Galactica game. I understand how you've played it as much as you have, Mark, because it is, for me, one of the most interesting platforms for emergent gameplay. It is truly different every time because the number of different ways that you as a human or as a Cylon especially can play that game, it's so wonderfully interesting. Definitely. Every game is different. It's always exciting. There's a point in the game when you 
start yelling at friends across the table in the best way possible. I love those types of games. <laughs> I just it's so juicy and wonderful. Yeah, I would say probably my most epic board game win was as a Cylon in Battlestar playing with some of the expansions, which, by the way, I only own the base game. And if anyone out there has a way for me to get any of the expansions without spending like two, three hundred dollars a pop, please let me know. I really, really want the expansions. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, we know that you are an avid puzzle hunter. You like to do puzzle hunts. And we got to ask, what is the story behind your team's name, Luigi's Death Stare? Oh, what a deep cut. I wasn't ready for this one at all. This is great. (laughs) This question is courtesy of Teresa Wagner. Oh, this is great. Uh, So the aforementioned Amy Perkle, who I worked with at Trap Puzzle Rooms, is my puzzle hunting partner. The two of us play together on every puzzle hunt we have time to do. Amy and I wanted to do the MIT Mystery Hunt together. The year before, a few other people at Trapped, Jamie and Karen, the two co-owners, had gotten together to do a few of the puzzles, and we thought it'd be fun to try and play some of the hunts. So our tiny team, we have seven to ten players that play it every year now. We Which don't is a get very tiny team for a mystery tiny, hunt. Especially this one particularly. We get as far as we can, and we have a good time. That's our whole goal. We play 30 to 50 puzzles typically every year is what we'll get through in the weekends of their 200 sometimes puzzles. Sometimes infinite. sometimes infinite yeah but the first year we had to think of a team name and i don't this is entirely to amy's credit she thought of luigi's death stare a reference to mario kart 8 when you pass luigi and he gives you the stare of death as he looks (laughs) at you that's been our team name just because puzzle hunt team names are weird and quirky in fact our logo on our discord is of luigi being passed looking at you with the daggers in his eyes amazing (laughs) that's fantastic so mark we have once again collaborated with you for the recon 2023 remote game the shop of theseus care to share any teasers for what people could expect from this that is an excellent name by the way we played around with quite a few i'm happy we landed on this one yeah What teasers to give at this point? Like, how much do I want to give away the fun? Is it another audio adventure? Totally an audio adventure. Same format as all the ones we've already talked about and mentioned before. We're playing online. I'll be narrating the things that you can play. So if you want to play with me, you will guaranteed play with me over this thing. So I don't get run over by a bus before then. Knock on wood. Um, (laughs) The plan is for me to run all of them for reasons. You're playing the Shop of Theseus game. As you've been told before, it's highly renowned. It is the recon game of choice, and I hope you're really excited to play it. Don't be worried if it's not finished or there's some problems with it when you get there. We'll work through those together. I'll be there again to shepherd you through it. So that will be totally fine. Not a problem at all. We won't have any issues with it being cobbled together from other things that we may have done in the past. Totally fine. Do you need to know anything about how the ship of Theseus quandary works? Not at all. I don't even know why you'd bring that up. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You can definitely guarantee that escape room fans will get more inside baseball designs and some interesting, playful, unusual mechanics that are not fit for a general audience. So how's that sound? I think that's perfect. Don't be afraid of it. We'll have a good time. It'll be fun. I guarantee we'll have fun with it. Have you already played it, David? 
I have been contributing a little bit to the design. It's mostly Mark's game, but I have helped out here and there, especially with some of the more ridiculous elements. <laughs> all right. So does everybody who attends Recon, do they all get to play this game? I'm glad you asked that, PG. No, you have to have purchased a ticket. So we have the basic ticket. Anyone can come to Recon 2023 for free. However, if you want to play the game, you need to buy the community ticket or the pro ticket or the champion ticket. The community ticket really is for the enthusiast community, and that comes bundled with the game. The pro ticket is for folks who are really in the industry, and it comes with a whole bunch of extra opportunities for conversation and for collaborative learning with other professionals in the industry. Strongly, strongly recommend the owner creators out there grab that ticket. And then we have the champion ticket, which comes with all of the different things that are in the pro and the community ticket. Plus, it really is for folks who love what we're doing and want to help make this more viable and sustainable. And we're very thankful to every single person who is buying a ticket of any kind to this thing because the team has put so much love and energy into this and the talks are going to be great. The game is going to be ridiculous. And we're just really excited that we are able to bring Recon to the global community again. I mean, a game like this alone, even if you play one of these audio games, was like $30 anyway. So you're already getting your money's worth with the game. Now, the basic ticket is free. That does not get access to the game. But what does that get you access to? That gets you access to the talks primarily, which I have been producing with Lee Fei. Most of them are announced at this point. And yeah, we have some wonderful speakers. A number of them have been guests on this podcast. We have Dino Paolo from Hint Hunt in South Africa and his business partner, Gary Kelly. They're doing a whole talk that's really expanding on some of the things that we talked about in his episode. We're exploring a lot of the stuff that his business struggled through with all of the fraud and the work they had to do to unravel that, and then the lessons that they learned that really every single professional should learn. They're really rounding that out. We have Ann and Chris Lukeman, who are on season one from CU Adventures. They are doing a whole talk on adaptive difficulty and designing games that players of all experience levels will love. We have Guy Bosco from Israel, who's designed more escape rooms than anyone in the world. He's doing a whole thing on lessons from that. It's going to be very funny. He is hilarious. And his plans for this are, I can't wait to see them come together. There's a lot going on. And so, yeah, that comes with the basic ticket. But yeah, if you want to play the game, get yourself a community ticket. They cost 39 bucks. 99 gets you the pro and that gets you all of the different facilitated discussions, birds of a feather conversations or as Jonathan Driscoll from Escaparium refers to them, birds of prey. <laughs> and yeah, so come to Recon. Yeah. And in case you just fast forward through our whole spiel where we talk about Recon, it is virtual this year. And they decided to do that because, you know, it was in person last year and it was incredible. You should absolutely come to the in-person Recon, which will be held next year. But we had a lot of people from all around the world who were like, man, I can't come to an in-person one. They really enjoyed the digital format. 
And so that's what we're doing again this year. And I will be your illustrious Q&A host. So I will be doing the questions again this year. Yep. You can join Recon. It's August 19th and 20th of 2023. You can learn more at realityescapecon.com. And 2024 will be in person. We have signed on the venue. I cannot wait to announce where we will be going at Recon 2023. Oh, man. No teasers here, David? No. (laughs) I'll try to tease some more out of him in the bonus. He'll probably still say no. (laughs) I want to know. Yeah, I don't even get a no. This is horrible waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, what comes next for you? We've got Recon coming up, but we've already talked about that. I am very excited about Dash coming back. So back on talking about puzzle hunts, I'm on the board of directors for Dash, which stands for Different Area, Same Hunt. I knew it was coming back. I had no idea you were on the board. Yeah. So trying to get that back up and running since 2019. That's when we had our last Dash because of the world changing and trying to find someone to take the reins and run with that. Kathy Saxton and I, two of the board members, decided we're going to take the reins for Dash 12 and be the puzzle managers for that one, make sure that happens. For those that don't know what Dash is, it is another puzzle hunt similar to the MIT one I talked about or a whole bunch of other ones. If you want to know more about puzzle hunts, reach out to me and let me know. I will talk about it endlessly. I love puzzle hunts. But this one is in person. It is a walking puzzle hunt. Takes a good portion of a day. We start usually around 10 in the morning, finish around between 4 and 6 in the afternoon. And you'll walk from location to location, picking up a puzzle at each location, solving it there, being directed somewhere else. And it happens around the world on the same day. So the different area part of Dash's name is if someone wants to run it in their city, they contact Dash and we will set them up with all the stuff they need to run it there. They find the location to run it. They recruit volunteers. They help with ticketing. But that's how we get Dash to pop up in random cities. We get people ask us all the time, why isn't Dash here or there? Why didn't you put it there? It's because no one wanted to host it. We don't determine where it goes. And I don't get a puzzle in person with that many people that often. And so being able to see a wide group of people in my local area do a puzzle hunt together is really fun. There's different difficulty levels. So if you're like, oh, I don't know about puzzle hunts, this one might not be for me. Dash is the perfect entry point. It's all run by Cluekeeper, which is an app on your phone that will give you hints at a timely basis. There's a couple different difficulty tracks. I love Dash. I love Dash too. I'm so excited that it's coming back. When is Dash 2024 going to be? It will either be in the spring or the fall of 2024. We have yet to determine what the date is yet. Fantastic. Well, you can learn more about that at playdash.org. And I am so thrilled it is coming back. I had no idea you were going to be involved. I'm even more excited now. I'm going to add, I have so many questions. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in the bonus episode. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I've been doing Dash since Dash 5 ran in Minneapolis, the first one in Minneapolis. I played in that one. And then I got roped into helping on Dash 6. And then I helped more on Dash 7. And then I took it over in Dash 8. And then I wrote a puzzle for Dash 9. And then I was the events manager and helped all the other cities run it for Dash 10. I've been just slowly adding on more stuff from Dash. I love Dash. I want it to keep being its thing. Fantastic. Mark, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Merklerson. That is my first and last name. Remove all the vowels. So M-R-K-L-R-S-N. Uh, <laughs> I was like, why did he turn into Kermit the Frog for a second? I was so confused. So yeah, M-R-K-L-R-S-N. My website is the same, M-R-K-L-R-S-N.com. Check that out. 
If you've got questions, if you want to know more about puzzles or games or whatever, reach out to me. I love talking to people about that stuff. I offer that to so many people and so few people take me up on that offer. And I genuinely mean it. If you want to know about the industry, if you just want to talk, please reach out. I love doing that sort of stuff. Well, reach out to Mark through his disemboweled screen name. <laughs> ah, David, it's pretty good. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. I had no idea that you were as big into puzzle hunts. So we're going to talk more about that in the bonus episode. If I had known it would be in the main episode, <laughs> it's always a delight. And for those of you who have not yet purchased your ticket to Recon 2023, do that now. Come play Mark's game. He'll make you laugh. He'll make you think. Give you a good time. Thank you both so much for having me. This was a delight. I look forward to talking about all everything. It's yes, more things. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira. Music by Ryan Elder of RyanElderMusic.com. Edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Our Patreon is the backbone. It is the foundation. It is the thing that allows us to put in all of the time, care, and money that we invest into creating podcasts like this and all of the daily content that Room Escape Artist creates. David and I have put a lot of work and thought into creating really awesome content for our Patreon supporters. Backing us at the $5 level gets you access to the RIA Discord. We have really fun conversations, discussions about escape rooms, immersive experiences, and more. And it also gets you access to our bonus show. This is a companion show to our main episode, and it's usually a more casual chat with our guests and each other. These episodes are pretty long. They're another 40 to 60 minutes. So if you can't get enough of our content, you can get more of it here. And we also tend to get a little bit looser here as well. If you have been enjoying this podcast, we would really appreciate a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It doesn't cost you anything, but it really helps us spread the word about Reality Escape Pod. Thank you to our highest level Patreon backers. Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Olivier Escape, Escapism, Escaparium, Panic Room, Byron Delmonico, Josh Rosenfeld, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, Scott Olson, and the Ministry of Peculiarities. Thank you all so much for your ongoing support. One of my favorite puzzles in Puzzle Hunt's past was in the Galactic Puzzle Hunt in, I think it was two hunts ago, called Unsafe. It was a text adventure puzzle where you were wandering around a town and trying to figure out what to do. It gave very little direction. We were mapping out the town, finding items and places. We found a rocket ship at one point, launched the rocket into space, and then I wondered what would happen if I tried to open the window of the rocket ship. And I did, and I died in the game. And it said, congratulations, <laughs> you've died in 50 steps. You can do it faster. And the whole game opened up at that point as we tried to find out all the dumb ways to die in this game. 
which I use those words because it linked back to the song Dumb Ways to Die, which is now Luigi's Death Stare theme song, which we celebrate new puzzle hunts with a rendition of that wonderful song. It was one of my favorite aha moments, realizations of just how deep this puzzle was. It was so memorable. Dumb ways to die. <laughs>